ಪಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು So welcome everybody to the Bhagavad Gita class. We are starting a bit late because we had to cancel. Uh, we didn't have the last week's class because of our retreat. Um, so we shall resume where we uh, left off uh, last time. Are there people in the waiting room? Yes. We'll resume where we left off last time. Last time, we uh, were doing chapter 6. It is the chapter which specializes in meditation. Um, it's primarily about meditation. And uh, we had actually gone up to verse number 19. So verse 19 uh, is a very well-known verse. It's a beautiful example of uh, what the mind of a meditator is like. The mind in deep meditation. ಯಥಾದೀಪೋ ನಿವಾತಸ್ಥೋ ನೈಂಗತೆ ಸೋಪಮಾ ಸ್ಮೃತ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದ ಲ್ಯಾಂಪ್ ದ ಫ್ಲೇಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಅ ಲ್ಯಾಂಪ್ ಇನ್ ಅ ಪ್ಲೇಸ್ ವೇರ್ ದೇರ್ ಇಸ್ ನೋ ವಿಂಡ್ ಸೊ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಡಸಂಟ್ ಫ್ಲಿಕರ್ ಇನ್ ಡೀಪ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ನಾಟ್ ಅವೇರ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ನಾಟ್ ಅವೇರ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಯು ಆರ್ ನಾಟ್ ಅವೇರ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಈವನ್ ಥಾಟ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಬಟ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಅವೇಕ್ ದ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಅಲರ್ಟ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಅವೇಕ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಫೋಕಸ್ಡ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿ Uh, in the object of meditation we'll see uh, what exactly is meant here before that what had preceded let me quickly um, summarize the sixth chapter began with sri krishna uh, emphasizing the importance of uh, karma yoga so for meditation first the mind has to be uh, pure with an impure mind if one sits for meditation the mind will keep flickering the mind will keep uh, being restless if you force the mind an impure mind into meditation trying to make it still usually the mind will fall asleep so one of the two will happen a purified mind where the des- desires have been thinned away where um, generally the mind flows the desires flow towards god there it's much easier to concentrate the mind on uh, whatever your object of meditation it could be the ishta devata ishta mantra and ishta devata or uh, in vedantic meditation where you want to stabilize the mind pointed towards the witness consciousness so first comes uh, karma yoga that's why krishna said an important verse verse number i think 3 aruroksha munir yogam karma karana mutyate ಯೋಗಾರೂಢಸ್ಯತಸ್ಯೋಗಾಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ and person whose mind has been purified to some extent meditation becomes uh, the emphasis becomes more on meditation now remember it does not mean that the beginning of spiritual life one must do only karma yoga and uh, then one must do only meditation no all will pro- proceed together your vedantic study and inquiry you will study the bhagavad gita vedantic texts and make that inquiry 
regular meditation morning and evening and trying to convert all our daily activities into a spirit of selfless service or worship of God. Um, then Sri Krishna started the instructions on meditation. Uh, he talked about that um, constantly engaged uh, in meditation, withdrawing to a solitary spot. Remember, he talked about how to, how to set a pure place for meditation, which is free from disturbances. Then even the asan, the seat for meditation, he gave instructions about that. How to sit, correct posture, he gave instructions about that. Then um, uh, established in a pure state of mind, self-controlled. Uh, then he said that um, food and, and work and recreation, all of those have to be balanced. Too much eating, meditation will not work. Too little eating, uh, will, meditation will not work. Too much sleep, mind will be too dull for meditation. Too little sleep, mind will be too exhausted for meditation. A balanced uh, lifestyle um, will, is important for meditation. Yuktahara viharasya, yukta cheshtasya karmasu. He says in verse number 17, when um, work, uh, recreation, food and rest are balanced, sufficient, then yoga bhavati dukkaha. Yoga will work. The yoga of meditation will work and take you beyond suffering. And finally, he speaks about, uh, about meditation itself. Here, the emphasis is on Patanjali yoga. He does not mention it directly, but the emphasis is on Patanjali yoga, especially the Ashtanga yoga. The elements have already been mentioned. Um, for example, asana has been mentioned, um, withdrawal of the mind has been mentioned, uh, concentration of the mind has been mentioned. Remember that Ashtanga Yoga, in the Patanjali Yoga sense, uh, has eight components, eight limbs. Uh, there is Yama and Niyama for the purification of the mind, the moral disciplines. Then there is Asana, how to sit. Sitting, posture, these are important because the mind has to be concentrated. The movement of the body will immediately disturb the mind. So, uh, sitting. Then pranayama, control of the breath. Why control of the breath? Because uh, they found that, uh, that the mind is connected to the breath. And um, excited mind also leads to irregular breathing. Um, then, you know, the mind is, if the body is sick, there can be regular breathing. Uh, calm and regulated breath is a sign of calmness of the mind. They found that that um, directly trying to control the mind is, of course, difficult. One good way is to start by sitting down quietly, then taking your attention to the breath and breathing uh, rhythmically, uh, following the breath for some time, the mind calms down. And of course, there are many sophisticated techniques of pranayama, of breathing, which all those details are not necessary, but breath is a good way of bringing or calming down the mind. Then pratyahara, withdrawal of the senses. That means a great, great deal of the mind, cognitive capacity is taken up by processing sense data. The mind is thrown into disturbance if you continuously see things, hear things, smell, taste, touch. So those things have to be shut down. Shut down means the mind is turned inwards. You can't physically shut down, uh, you can shut down the ears, but then how can you shut down the skin or the sense of, uh, you know, smell? 
So turning the mind inwards is the uh, is the withdrawal of the mind away from the senses. Then comes dharana. Dharana means focus. And when you try to focus, focus on what? The one which we are most familiar with is the um, meditation on an object of meditation, like uh, Buddhists do on, on the breath. Or we, in our tradition, we have Ishta Devata and Ishta Mantra. So we visualize the deity. Suppose you're meditating on Krishna. Your Ishta Devata is Krishna, uh, the deity you meditate upon. So you have a beautiful form of Krishna to visualize and in the heart center. So you look at your attention is drawn to this spot in the heart and not think of anything outside this. So it's locked in a space, this space. It's locked in a time that from this time up to that time, say half an hour or one hour, I will not think of anything else except uh, Krishna and the mantra. The mantra is, suppose Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya or any mantra that your guru has given you. So the mantra and the deity, form of the deity, it's a lot of work actually. So it keeps you pretty busy. And you immediately notice the mind goes here and there. Um, Swami Prabhavanandaji, in one place he comments that, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Directly, Jesus says this in the Bible. How do I know that I am not pure in heart? The best way is, Swami Prabhavanandaji, he says that try to focus on one thing. Uh, I will think only about this now for the next few minutes. Should be easy. My mind, I want to think about one thing. You see, immediately, almost immediately, within seconds, other thoughts will start coming in. Uh, and you can bring it back again to the object of your meditation. But again, other thoughts will start coming in. Now, this is a sign of the impurity of the mind. My mind, I'm going to put a particular object of thought and focus into my mind. And I just want to hold it there for a few minutes. Can't do it. The mind flickers continuously. So, uh, in a purified mind, that focus will happen easily. Mind is not pure, it will be a struggle. And for most of us, it's a struggle. And then, this will deepen into dhyana. Dharana, dhyana. Focus, meditation. What is the difference? The difference is, in focus, it will be continuously disturbed. I am meditating on Krishna. But something else will come in and again I have to bring my mind back. Something else comes in, again I have to bring my mind back. So that's the process of focus. But in dhyana, it will settle down for at least some continuous time. Uh, the, the flow will be the form of Krishna and the mantra of Krishna or whatever, form of Shiva and Om Namah Shivaya, not interrupted by anything else. So there is this continuous flow. And that's what was men mentioned in verse number 19. Like the unflickering flame of a lamp. A lamp in a windless place, an unflickering flame like that. Now, here, the distinction between the meditator, the process of meditation, and the object of meditation is clear. And there is an awareness. Object of meditation, in Sanskrit, it's called dheya, object of meditation. That I'm meditating upon. Uh, it could be Shiva. A particular form and the mantra associated with that form, suppose Om Namah Shivaya. I'm just giving an example. People have different Ishta Devatas. Some do not have Ishta Devata. Some may just do a simple like mindfulness on the breast. But that is the object of meditation. And I am the meditator. 
that feeling is there i am meditating on uh, shiva i'm not thinking about that but that awareness is there and there's a process of meditation going on my mind is being engaged i am thinking continuously about shiva this is called dhyana the meditator is called dhyata the process of meditation is called dhyana and the object of meditation is called dhyaya dhyata dhyana dhyaya this triplet it's called triputi triplet this is still there very clearly i have no doubt i am meditating yes now mind is still not flickering but the idea is very clear i am meditating on my ishta devata there is a process going on um few days ago i read out to a group that uh, swami bodhananda ji who was here um in the early days in 1920s onwards up to 1951 in the vedanta society in fact right here in this room he asked uh, swami saradananda ji disciple of sri ramakrishna maharaj when we meditate our mind flickers goes this restless goes here and there does the same thing happen for you also and swami saradananda ji immediately replied no the moment i sit down for meditation the mind becomes absorbed in the object of meditation what an amazing thing to say <laughs> the moment he sits down in meditation whenever he sits down for meditation the mind becomes absorbed so it is possible that one day that that state ha- does come this is called dhyana meditation now next what will happen what will happen next is as we become absorbed suppose in the form of shiva and the mantra of shiva the concentration is so much this remembrance of i am meditating that will drop away from our awareness from our focus it will drop away i am no longer aware of myself i am no longer aware that i am meditating also it is just shiva om namah shivaya and shiva the two mantra and um, the ishta the nama and rupa are going on together and nothing else it's not difficult to understand sometimes in deep concentration um, something that requires tremendous concentration a scientist or a painter or you know any kind of some kind of secular activity also um, a surgeon doing doing say some very fine surgery they lose awareness of themselves they lose awareness of time the focus required is so much there is no cognitive bandwidth left over for thinking about anything else so not just concentration the sense of self also it does not come that i am doing something that's not there but mind is very alert very absorbed mihai chikzen mihai calls it the state of flow the highest state of concentration it's a and it's a area of study in modern positive psychology actually so that when that happens and remains steady you are moving from dhyana meditation to samadhi moving moving from meditation to samadhi what is the difference i am meditating on shiva Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya is going on. The, the form of Shiva is clear and luminous, not disturbed, not flickering. That is Dhyana. That's a pretty good state to be in. But that further it goes, I am meditating. This, this part drops away. The luminosity, the luminous form of Shiva and the repetition of the mantra, that is there. Nothing more. And that is Samadhi. And that's called Savikalpa Samadhi. So here... there are uh, slight differences in interpretation so if you ask exactly where are you getting all this this is from um, this is the interpretation of the patanjali yoga 
sutras process of samadhi dhyana to samadhi from swami ramsukdas now swami ramsukdas ji he wrote a beautiful commentary on the bhagavad gita called sadak sanjeevani very big book you know <laughs> a huge heavy book uh, uh, several hundred pages detailed commentary but very accessible and very good for uh, sadakas he has left out the uh, philosophical uh, uh, you know argumentation part of it so he has just kept just the advice which is necessary for a serious spiritual seeker so there he talks about this what is meditation then moving from meditation to samadhi how does that happen i am the meditator and this is the process of meditation going on that i am no longer aware of just the object of meditation is very very clear and you are absorbed in that then what happens further further what happens is here um this uh, relationship between the mantra and the ishta nama and rupa is still there clearly mantra is there clearly ishta devata is there um this is called sampragyata samadhi sabikalpa samadhi let's call it sampragyata samadhi this is the patanjali yoga term this is the samadhi which is meant which is talked about in the eighth limb of the ashtanga yoga eight components or eight limbs of the eight uh, uh, ashtanga yoga the eightfold yoga eight limbed yoga the last one is samadhi yama niyama uh, asana pranayama pratyahara dharana dhyana samadhi the eighth one what samadhi is being talked about this sampragyata samadhi is being talked about then what happens you go a little further in in that what happens is um the um mantra the name that also drops away just the luminous form of the deity remains unflickering there is no sign of i meditating on it no thought else any other thought in the mind is no disturbance complete forgetfulness of the world complete forgetfulness of the body complete forgetfulness of any other thought sensation just the luminous form of shiva uh, or your deity your uh, ishta devata shining forth that is called uh, asampragyata samadhi there is no division between i the meditator and the object of meditation nor even a division in the deity between the name of the deity and the Uh, form the reading that also that relationship is also not there uh, and uh, there slight difference is done by patanjali nirbija sabija nirbija this is a minor difference but i'll just mention it some some subtle desires may re- remain in the in the seed form when one goes into samadhi as a result what happens extraordinary spiritual powers or siddhis they develop when one comes down from samadhi one may get these uh, occult powers of like uh, you know knowing what is in somebody else's mind some extraordinary powers come and so patanjali warns about these things at that point uh, you are supposed to reject those powers in the sense that they are worldly they are false they will drag me back into samsara i have nothing to do with that i want only god realization then what happens is the samadhi which will uh, which will come after that is called nirbija asampragyata samadhi without any more seed and that is that's exactly what is called god realization that is the highest samadhi um in the terms of patanjali yoga it is the difference the complete differentiation between purusha and prakriti 
Purusha alone shines. Um, Swami Vivekananda explains this in this way. Imagine a lake. And in that lake, there is no wind. So it's absolutely calm. Not a single ripple is there. At the same time, the lake is very, the water is very clear, very pure. So in that lake, where there are no ripples or waves, and the water is clear, two, two neat things are necessary. Purification of mind and uh, calmness of mind. When these two are there, no wave in the lake and no dirt in the lake, then Swami Vivekananda says that you can see it right through to the bottom of the lake. Here in, the, in this case, in the case of the mind, what happens? I, the self, the pure consciousness, it becomes evident. It's always there. It becomes evident. Patanjali puts it this way. He says, Tada drashtu swarupe avasthanam. The witness consciousness is appreciated. It remains. He says remains, but it means it's appreciated. It always remains in its real nature, but it is appreciated. It is um, recognized in its true nature. Let's put it that way. Or if you are doing a devotional meditation, like a deity meditation, the deity is seen, is very clear. Living um, experience, experience of a living deity, not just an imagination, not just a visualization. It becomes uh, alive for the first time. Asam Pragyata Samadhi. And that leads to liberation in, in uh, Patanjali Yoga. So this whole sequence is from Patanjali Yoga. Of course, in Patanjali Yoga, they will not talk about deity meditation and mantra. They just talk about Prakriti and Purusha being separated. Okay, this much. Now we will go into the next verse. This is the background. We'll see what happens then. Verse number 20. So the next few verses, 20, 21, 22, 23, are wonderful and beautiful verses which uh, talk about what happens in Samadhi. So that rarefied state of the mind, it's a state of the mind. Remember, make no mistake, Samadhi is not a state of Atman or a state of consciousness. Pure consciousness or Atman is ever the same. But it's a state of the mind and the most valuable state of the mind. So what happens then? And he mentions this in the next one, two, three, four verses. Yatro paramate chittam niruddham yoga sevaya yatra chaivatmanatmanam pashyan atmanitushyati. So that state in which the mind is controlled by practice of concentration, it gets settled. Uh, in which seeing the self by the purified mind, one is satisfied by the self. So, yatra uparamati, mind withdraws, becomes absolutely serene, settled, like a waveless lake. Niruddham, controlled or settled or fixed by yoga sevaya, yoga sevaya, by the continuous practice of yoga. What yoga? Meditation. The yoga of meditation. Then, um, what else? All right. So, let's go a little um, slowly here. The first thing he has said is, the mind is completely calm there, completely settled there. There is no thinking going on about, no contact with the world outside, no feeling of the body, no sensory uh, experiences, and no thoughts, emotions, memories, no sense of I also, the egotism. It's just the object of uh, meditation. In Vedantic meditation, it will be the self. 
the pure consciousness which shines forth and that's it. So it's a very rarefied state of the mind and it leads to great joy. See, meditation, the, the earlier one, dhyana, that leads to great joy. Before that, focus requires effort. You're putting in effort. But once there is flow, meditation, there is great joy. Even modern positive psychology points out, one of the most fulfilling experiences we have are the flow experiences in our lives. Even before, long before Mihai Chikzin, Mihai, um, what's his name, uh, Maslow. Maslow has written a whole book on peak experiences. So peak experiences, flow experiences. Modern positive psychology recognizes that deep concentration uh, is productive of uh, joy, uh, happiness. And this happiness is different from sense happiness. Enjoying a lot of sense happiness, uh, it just it leads to afterwards you feel uh, sort of uh, exhausted. You feel you've come down to a lower level of the mind. But suppose you spend a time with deep concentration, could be in your studies, could be playing a musical instrument, um, could be in meditation. After that period, you feel more integrated. You feel richer. You feel uh, more elevated after that. Any period of deep concentration does that to you. So that is the joy of meditation. Higher than that is the joy of samadhi, sampragyata samadhi. And much higher than that is the joy of asampragyata samadhi. So that is a uh, very rarefied, extraordinarily high level of joy. And beyond that lies the joy of the Atman. Joy of the Atman, I'll, I'll differentiate these. Beyond even the asampragyata samadhi is the Atman itself, which is joy which is ananda. To distinguish, sensory pleasure is called vishaya ananda. Sri Ramakrishna made this threefold distinction. Vishaya ananda, bhajana ananda, brahmananda. So vishaya ananda is the joy you get in eating, or the pleasure you get in eating a cookie or spending some time with friends, watching a movie. This is the vishaya ananda, the enjoyment of the senses. Higher than that is the spiritual joy which one gets in um, spiritual practices, meditation, um, prayer, um, devotional practices, that is called bhajanananda, because that is connected to God. It comes from the divine. Uh, it's, it's because it's related to the divine. It's not coming from an exercise of the senses with the objects of senses. So that is called bhajanananda. It's a higher pleasure and much better, much purer. And more you do that, the more elevated and um, purified and richer, enriched you become. But even that's not the highest. Higher than that is Brahmananda. Brahmananda is, is Swarupananda, the, the bliss of the self, which is Ananda itself. What is the difference? I will tell a little later. But keep these in mind. Now, all of those that I mentioned, the joy of meditation, dhyana, the joy of sampragyata samadhi, joy of asampragyata samadhi, all come under bhajanananda. These are the highest peaks of bhajanananda. Bhajanananda means the joy of spiritual practice and joy of contact with God. Higher than that will come next, the, the brahmananda, the joy of the self itself. So, yatra uparamate chittam niruddham yoga sevaya. This is samadhi. Then the next one, yatra chaiva atmanatmanam Pashyan Atmani Tushyati. Very beautiful description of what happens in Samadhi. Yatra, in which state? Remember, this is also a state of the mind. 
The Atman itself is not a state. It's always there. But this is a state of the mind, the highest state of meditation. What happens there? Atmana Atmanam Pashyan Atmani Tushyati. Literally, if you translate, by the self, seeing the self, in the self, one is completely satisfied. Tushyati is completely satisfied. But what? in what sense is the self being used? So, in the self means in the concentrated, purified, concentrated mind, which is um, the mind in samadhi. Purified, concentrated mind. Concentrated, what level of concentration? The, the mind in samadhi, which is what we are talking about now. That is meant by in the self, in the mind, in samadhi. What happens? Atmana atmanam pashyati. Uh, Pashyan, seeing the self by the self. Seeing the self by the self in what sense? So here, the mind does not see the self. It's a subtle point to be understood. See, from a Sankhyan perspective, the mind and the self, Prakriti and Purusha, they belong to two entirely different categories of existence. From the external world to the body to the mind, all of it belongs to Prakriti. It, to nature, it is objective, it is jada, not, not sentient. It is illumined by consciousness, but it is not conscious, conscious by itself. It cannot objectify consciousness. On the other hand, apart from all of these, all of these means from external world up to the mind, all of it. External world to your body, physical matter, gross matter, sthula. Uh, mind, uh, sukshma, that is antakkarana, mind, uh, intellect, memory, ego, all of these uh, are subtle, but they are all matter. They are all object. Simple way of understanding is, can it be experienced? Yes. Can you experience the external world? Of course. Can you experience the body? Of course. Do you experience your mind? Are you aware of your thoughts, feelings, emotions, desires? Yes, of course. Then they are all objects. They are all objects. They belong to Prakriti. They belong to nature. They can never objectify consciousness. Uh, Atman, the self. The self is Purusha, entirely different category. There are two separate different categories. What is the relationship? Um, conscious, the matter, Prakriti, continuously changes and consciousness illumines matter. How does it illumine matter? It has the ability to reveal the happenings in the mind. And mind borrowing that consciousness can now illumine senses. And mind and senses, remember, with the borrowed consciousness, from whom? From you, the self, can now reveal their objects, um, form and uh, uh, smell and taste and touch and sound, all of that. And that's how we become aware of the natural world. But consciousness in itself is never part of that natural world. So this is the great insight of Sankhya and Patanjali Yoga. Kapila's Sankhya and Patanjali's Yoga, they're dualistic philosophies. Consciousness, matter. Point here is, the, the subtle point being made here is, the mind, even in Samadhi, does not actually see, realize, objectify you, the self. The only way it could do anything like that is by the help of a name and form. That's why the deity meditation is there. You know, Shiva, Kali, Krishna. But without the name and form, the pure self itself, which is what Advaita Vedanta seeks to realize, that can never be objectified by the mind. 
then what happens here is the subtle message given by krishna he says yatra for the first line niruddham um this is niruddham means completely quietened uparati uparati means completely um serene without any ripple without any wave the mind ceases to act there it's not that the mind was now objectifying the world now that i have turned the mind inside now it it has got hold of the self that cannot happen what we have done is what the mind can do it can objectify the world the mind objectifies the world the senses objectify the world the speech objectifies the world what do i mean by speech objectifying the world you can speak about the world the great philosopher wittgenstein said the limits of language are the limits of the world limits of of language and world are the same what you, you can express in language is the world and then he says wittgenstein he says what lies beyond we must pass over in silence very beautifully put so the speech mind senses they can only objectify the world mind cannot objectify consciousness now all this objectifying of the world is silent we have told the mind i'm not interested in anything that you can do as far as the pure consciousness is concerned the mind cannot objectify it so the mind is totally silent what it can do we have stopped it from doing what it cannot do but what we want that it it is pointed towards that but it cannot catch that now how do you realize the self then the self is realized by itself so there is no other way of exp- explaining this it is a unique thing um you can call it awareness of awareness but not thinking about awareness awareness of awareness vedanta advaita vedanta is a beautiful term swaprakasha self luminous sri ramakrishna used to say bodhe bodhkara realizing the awareness in the awareness this is exactly what sri krishna is saying atmana atmanam pashyam so the subtle point being made here is not that the subtle mind is somehow the purified concentrated meditative mind is somehow seeing the self it cannot see the self is i mean it's a wrong use of language self is seeing itself it's self reflexive language but there's no other way no language cannot really express this it's very clear what you are there's absolutely no doubt about it and yet it's not the mind which is doing it so that is the thing he's talking about um this i mentioned this earlier also in the yoga vashishta one technique of meditation is given one way of calming down the mind um powerful way when you sit in meditation when you are sitting still the mind is generally calmed down then put a strong suggestion in the mind oh mind whatever you can think of i am not interested mind will offer no no i will think only about vedantic things i am not interested mind will protest oh you don't want to think about vedanta also no i am not interested in anything you can think of also part of the suggestion will be the one that which i want you cannot think of that part of that suggestion also has to be given otherwise the mind will fall asleep so there is something i means here the mind you are using the mind in the, that there is something that i am interested in but oh mind you cannot think of it and whatever you can think of whatever you can imagine desire understand remember i'm not interested this is called niruddham here 
Now, I am actually beating about the bush. This real subtle matter I want to enter now. Now, Tushyati becomes happy, becomes completely satisfied, Purnatvam. Nothing more is left to be achieved. What is that? Now, what is the difference between Brahmananda and Bhajanananda? The great joy of the mind contemplating God or the mind contemplating the self, which you get in meditation, which you get in samadhi. What more is there in Brahmananda than this? What is the difference? So this is drawn from Taittiriya Upanishad, the Anandavalli. In Taittiriya Upanishad, there is a clear um, analysis of joy. Vishayananda, Bhajanananda, Brahmananda. What is Vishayananda? Pure consciousness, Satchidananda, existence, consciousness, bliss, which is bliss itself, shining upon the mind. In the mind, there is a desire for some objects because of previous uh, vasanas. And we chase that object. I want to eat a cookie. And I eat the cookie finally. I get the object and eat it. And the desire is satisfied momentarily. As the desire is satisfied momentarily, the mind becomes calm and it reflects properly the ananda nature of the self. I'll repeat that. The calm mind, the serene mind, reflects properly the ananda nature of the self. If the mind is in a wave, if the mind is disturbed, usually it's disturbed by desire, then what happens? It reflects Atman. Atman will always be shining. So as a result, you will feel, I am. I am aware. But my feeling of completion, fulfillment, ananda, bliss will not be there. So a partial reflection, which will give you the sense of existence and you'll get, give you the sense of awareness, reflected, um, borrowed existence, reflected consciousness, chidabhasa. But Purnatvam is not there. Apurna, incomplete, limited, will immediately be identified with one mind and body. And then it makes the mistake, that mind, mind makes the mistake, oh, when I ate the cookie or when I uh, you know, saw this beautiful uh, um, art, then I was so happy. So from that cookie or the art or whatever it is, you know, from sense objects, from relationships, from achievement, from knowledge, all of these many, many uh, things I get, these are the sources of my joy. Vishaya is the source of my joy. Are you with me so far? Objects give me happiness. This, we all feel that. All of us generally feel that. Vedanta says it's not the object which is giving you happiness. The desire for the object is temporarily, it settles down, it gets settled temporarily and your inner happiness shines forth. Your inner fulfillment shines forth for a moment and you get a tiny or little spark of happiness there. And you're mixing it up with the object. Because it's mixed up with object and mind, it's only a little bit. You don't get a very high sense of uh, happiness. And this is the entire range of happiness available in the world. From a simple you know, like sense, gross sense pleasure like eating something to refined pleasures which are more mind-dependent like art and uh, you know, like intellectual discovery, uh, things like that, which are pretty refined. But they also are, they are also Vishaya Ananda. Gross, 
more refined, more refined. In classical music, art, you, know, you get you get much more happiness than any kind of sense pleasure. But still, it is Vishayananda. All right. Then what is Bhajanananda now? So this model, keep it in mind. Our the experienced joy is our own joy, which is being reflected in the mind. See, Ramakrishna gave a rather gruesome example. Uh, a dog had a bone. It would eat the bone and chew the bone. And the bone would cut its lip inside and it would bleed there. And the dog would think, it's so tasty. It's tasting its own blood. And then it would bury that bone. Whenever it wanted joy, it would go and dig out that bone and then chew on it again. It would cut its own inner, inner, inner lip and taste its own blood and think it's such a juicy bone. So tasty. We are tasting our own joy, but we think it's that dry old bone which is giving us joy. Right. So this is one part of it. Now we come to spiritual life. Not enlightenment, not Brahmananda, but just Bhajanananda. The joy of devotion, the joy of prayer, the joy of meditation, all of that, in up to the joy of Samadhi. What is that? So a wise person begins to understand and all of this I'm taking from Taittiriya Upanishad. A wise person begins to understand, hey, wait a minute. If it is my joy, and it's a mistake associating it with, with the objects of the senses. In that case, if I just calm down the mind, instead of running after sense objects and getting those sense objects and enjoying them and temporarily calming down the mind with all the associated side effects of becoming you know, habituated to sense enjoyments and all of that, and desires increasing and so on. If I just give up those desires, the mind should calm down by itself. And in the calm mind, I should be able to enjoy more and more of my natural bliss. That is the psychology of spiritual joy. This is the Vedantic analysis of spiritual joy, where it is based on renunciation. You let go of that mad pursuit, but it has to be a genuine letting go. Otherwise, you are stuck. What happens is, I want to let go, and there's some deep inside my mind is the the, the hankering for it. So I'm caught in a um, you know in a situation, a paradoxical situation, where I say I want to let go. Seriously, I want to let go, and my mind also says I don't want to let go. And then there's a crisis, a kind of conflict, inner conflict, which is not good. But if one can, to the extent that one can let go, to that extent one enjoys a pure kind of joy. And that kind of joy is associated with um, meditation, prayer, devotion, service. All the yogas, they produce joy. They produce a lot of happiness. The joy you get in kirtan, um, devotional singing, all of that is bhajanananda. And the, uh, the the idea under, underlying that is you let go of sense pleasures. Then what will the mind catch hold of? Catch hold of God. That's the, that's the beauty of bhakti. Catch hold of God. Catch hold of, of, the, of the divinity in prayer, in devotion, in meditation. Whichever any of these, you will get joy. And a much higher, much more um, purified, intense joy. The Taittiriya Upanishad, that section is detailed what happens then. So there are gradations, just as in the worldly joy, there are gradations. They can be crude, a little bit of joy, there can be more and more intense joys and thrills. In spiritual life also, there can be more or less uh, joy and satisfaction in spiritual life. Now, you go further. Even beyond the joy of um, this, of, of meditation, 
spiritual practice, giving up desires and enjoying the bliss that comes in the peaceful mind. One may think a little further. Vedanta tells you, why is it that you have to keep on reflecting that joy in your mind? You know what it's like. Here I am, this is my face. And I, I keep reflecting it in a camera or, or, a, or a mirror and seeing it. I don't need to. Whatever I can see in that mirror, whatever I can see in the picture, is this face plus the capacity of that mirror you know, to form a reflection. I actually don't need to. Even when the mirror does not, is not there, in the camera is not there, I am quite sure that my face is there. Nothing that the mirror can show me is anything more than my face. That realization brings to an end the spiritual quest. The realization, I am Purnam. I am complete. No matter what is reflected in the mirror, no matter what quality of joy is coming in my spiritual practices, high, low, changing, coming and going, doesn't matter. The sense of completion that I get, Advaita Vedanta does that. That is Brahmananda. The difference is um, the Vishayananda, the worldly pleasures and Bhajanananda, they need the mind. Uh, so the mind will work. One is in a worldly sense, mind and senses. The other one is the mind engaged in devotional practices or spiritual practices, devotional, meditative, whatever. But Brahmananda does not need the mind. Brahmananda is the self itself, the joy of the self itself. It is Ananda, just as it is pure being, pure uh, consciousness, pure bliss. Second, the worldly pleasure and spiritual joys, they are subject to increase and decrease. They can be less, they can be more. They are subject to coming and going. It might be there, might not be there. You have heard of, just like worldly pleasures, the higher spiritual joy. You've heard of so many writings of the saints who have intense joy and you know ecstasies at the presence of the divine. And then they acutely miss the presence of the divine also. They suffer at the... So it means it comes and goes. Of course, it's a very elevated, very purified and always good. But still, it increases and decreases. It comes and goes, showing that it depends on the mind. Brahmananda does not increase or decrease does not come and go. It is always infinite. Again, all the worldly joys, all the spiritual joy and fulfillment is entirely dependent on Brahmananda. It is Brahmananda alone channelized through these um, channels of the mind and the senses uh, that you enjoy in these ways. But Brahmananda does not depend on them. Brahmananda is the reality itself. Notice, to understand this, notice the parallels with Sat and Chit. Notice the parallels with Sat and Chit. Pure being uh, is uh, uh, that which gives existence to all, ex all existing things. Existing things come and go. Existing things are big and small, good and bad. But pure being is being itself. It's not, not good and bad or uh, big or small. It does not come and go. So similarly, pure consciousness also. It is that which lights up all our conscious experiences, which come and go, which are good and bad, which are better or worse. But pure consciousness is, does not come and go, is not better or worse, is not uh, flickering. It, it just uh, illumines all our conscious experiences. One final distinction. This is where people find it a little disturbing, but they shouldn't. 
the vishayananda the enjoyment of the senses the enjoyment of the um, uh, of the spiritual joys these are experienced these are experiential they are thrown on the mind and illumined and revealed by consciousness brahma ananda ananda as, as the very nature of the self is not an object immediately we feel oh you can't experience brahmananda then this is where if you get advaita vedanta it's perfect if you don't admit seem like then seems pretty theoretical no it is not notice what do you mean by experiencing a joy experiencing a joy is just like seeing your face in the mirror why would you want to see your face in the mirror all the time even the most perfect titanium mirror and the most made up face why would you want to keep on seeing it you know it's there the mirror can't give you anything more than what you already have the sense of fulfillment you get when you realize i am that that brings to an end this quest spiritual quest for immortality because i know i am sat i am immortal the quest for knowledge and you know to know more and more i know i am consciousness every knowledge is lit up by me and all that i think of as knowledge are appearances in me the consciousness and finally the quest for higher and higher spiritual joys this uh, a christian theologian calls it spiritual gluttony the higher and higher spiritual joy brings to an end because i am infinite joy now just to make it clear so after brahmananda won't that person enjoy any kind of joy no no will enjoy will completely enjoy all kinds of spiritual joy they will enjoy a cookie will enjoy the bliss of kirtan will enjoy the deep peace of meditation and they will come and go but will have no attachment to any of these no dependence on and will not chase any of these this is a big big topic but i just wanted to touch upon it keep it in mind vishayananda bhajanananda brahmananda if you want peace if you want to be spiritual move from vishayananda to bhajanananda you can't jump from vishayananda to brahmananda one has to move from chasing worldly sensory pleasures to the joy of devotion prayer meditation from from thrill seeking to the joy of a peaceful um, a pure mind it's much higher from self seeking to the joy of being um, uns- uh, selfless so that must be done i don't i don't want to belabor the point but just it's worth considering what brahmananda is and keep the mirror example in mind sri ramakrishna himself gives the mirror example he says if you sit if if i sit looking at the mirror continuously people will think i'm mad he doesn't explain there what is the mirror why is he looking in a mirror it's this thing i i am that so i need not keep chasing uh, various kinds of spiritual experiences for uh, that comes to an end you have realized the highest spiritual experiences will con- uh, continuously keep on happening happening as long as you have a body and a mind many things will keep on happening worldly experiences and spiritual experiences but you are already fulfilled all right now all this was background for verse number 21 sukham atyantikam yattat buddhi grahyam matindriyam vetti yatra nacaivayam sthitas chalati tattvata two more beautiful points have been made here 
what does he say sukham atyantikam yat that which is the highest bliss far greater than any kind of worldly joy and greater than any kind of spiritual joy that is realized oh so it's realized by samadhi he says yat tad buddhi grahiham atindriyam it is realized by knowledge buddhi grahiham here means by knowledge what knowledge aham brahmasmi i am that atman which shines forth in every worldly joy and in the higher spiritual joys having realized that there is nothing higher than that it will be mentioned later on um although spiritual joy will continue you have to just look at the lives of great saints so they are very joyful but they are not even attached to that particular spiritual joy on what basis are they not attached because they have realized the highest which can never be separated from them then i having realized this vetri yatra in that state having realized it nachayevam nachayeva ayam sthitash chalati tatvata it becomes so established in it that even when you come down from samadhi that realization i am brahman is not shaken it's not shaken in samadhi in samadhi it's after samadhi it's obtained uh, but it's not shaken in day to day activity also then it becomes not sampragyata samadhi not asampragyata samadhi but then it becomes sahaja samadhi it is god with eyes closed god with eyes open it is effortless choiceless then then is one called a jivan mukta free while living sthita pragya your wisdom is established does not say samadhi is established your knowledge is established enlightenment is established and of course this comes only by repeatedly centering yourself in that realization so those who attain samadhi for example they stay there for some time uh, it might be um, days weeks or uh, months sri ramakrishna nirvikalpa samadhi when he first attained it he stayed there for 6 months this is an extreme example ramana maharshi's case when he made the breakthrough he cut away every external engagement uh, ruthlessly and he stayed there he was not practicing it was so powerful he remained absorbed there but he didn't doesn't have to remain absorbed there forever because he knows the absorbed there with eyes closed in the basement of a dirty basement of a temple infested with rats if you have read his life you know um, not caring about the world not caring about food um, nothing from there to interacting with people with eyes open eyes closed and eyes open it is the same reality is perfectly established effortlessly so that is sahaja samadhi nat sthitas chalati tatvata is never does one this one slip away from the realization aham brahmasmi i am brahman next he will say that is the highest gain other than that there is nothing greater than that you may get no no worldly success is greater than that no spiritual experience is greater than that the realization that i am brahman that is so vast so limitless so fundamental every other spiritual experience no matter how thrilling how ecstatic visions uh, they are they are based on that satchidananda on that brahman they do not exceed it they are appearances in that so you have attained the highest also based on that even the greatest of sorrows cannot shake you worst of problems in the world and even 
in spiritual life suppose all visions go away suppose you cannot meditate anymore the mind is shaken the body is ill maybe dying doesn't matter you have got something that can never ever go away that will come next let me quickly look at the comments shanli says pranam swami ji we are humans and we have emotions and led by other sentiments and reactions as a result we get furious resentment of others comments disparities of mind yes how can we keep composure all the time all the four yogas are in, uh, helpful here karma yoga the more i am selfless the more i convert my actions into either service of others or as my offering to god you will see the more calm the mind will be if you are doing something for others and you really don't want anything in return you will not be so upset by people um by bhakti yoga when my focus is my krishna or my shiva Uh, or my ramakrishna it really doesn't matter so much what this person said or that person said then dhyana yoga this meditation so i'm careful to avoid situations people where which will throw my mind into a turmoil because i need a calm and peaceful mind for meditation and in the meditative mind in the calm mind if you look back somebody said something somebody behaved in some way which i didn't like you can easily overcome it you can easily minimize it you can easily see that it's not all that important so every one of the yogas is a powerful practice for maintaining composure then pravir babu says what is the difference between sthita and sthita pragya the same thing here sthita chalati tatvata um that is sthita pragya it's same as sahaja samadhi we hear krishna has pointed out yes the topic is dhyana meditation and samadhi but one must go beyond this to sahaja samadhi krishna murti vishwanathan says does ishwar only refer to patanjali yoga here or does he also mean atma vichara nidhyasana uh, uh, we will say it means atma vichara nidhyasana see let me make this clear from an advaitic perspective what is krishna doing here he is giving us the methodology of vedantic nididhyasana using patanjali yoga's techniques the ashtanga yoga of patanjali how to sit how to breathe how to withdraw the mind how to concentrate entirely taken from patanjali and it's not something new it starts from the gita it goes on in vedanta sar you will remember we studied vedanta sar after completing the entire teaching of advaita vedanta what did he do nididhyasana he started patanjali yoga again yama niyama asana pranayama but he does not so when advaitins take do this they are not take, accepting the the philosophy of patanjali yoga which is sankhya prakriti purusha they are holding on to aham brahmasmi brahman alone is real the world is an appearance you are none other than brahman now you are using this this technology devised by patanjali is extraordinary technology uh, to stabilize yourself for the purposes of vedantic nididhyasana uh, i just remembered mihai chikzen mihai in his book flow he has um, he he says in i have surveyed the entire literature of the world for these flow experiences how ancient peoples used to generate these flow experiences and i think the most he says the most comprehensive and sophisticated method i have come across is 
the Patanjali Yoga Sutras from ancient India for generating flow. So it's a technology and you can borrow it and use it in Advaita Vedanta also. Does it make a difference if the complete focus of the, of the mind or just one thought or one topic does happen, but when done without starting with a deliberate intention or aim like that? No, you don't have to start with a deliberate intention. When you're practicing something, you have a deliberate intention. Now I shall not let my mind be scattered. From this time to this time, I shall repeat the mantra. Uh, I will not think of anything outside the lotus of my heart like that. It's a deliberate intention. Without a deliberate intention, you can't start practicing meditation. However, for people who are spiritual practitioners, once in a while the mood will come upon you. Will, you will feel deeply inward or you feel deeply devotional without any specific intention. Just because the mind is being purified and the habit is becoming there. So that's also very good. That's ex excellent. Um, Shweta asks... Can dhyana not happen on the source of the I am? Of course. This is um, Vedantic Nidhi Dhyasana. I just gave the example of uh, uh, Ishta Devata. Remember, Krishna here is not even has not mentioned the Ishta Devata at all. Like Krishna is actually speaking about the Atman. He is the source of the I am. That's what Krishna is doing here in the sixth chapter. Pradeep Bose is asking, is it impurity or immaturity or combination that stands in the way of focus of meditation? Because a child's mind is pure, but he still is unable to focus or keep the mind still. Yes, child's mind is pure, but the mind is restless. Um, so remember, the example Swami Vivekananda gave was very nice. Two conditions are necessary. There must not be any wind. There must not be any ripple on the surface of the mind. So calm mind. And uh, it must be a clear mind. Calm mind and pure mind. Both are necessary. The child's mind is uh, pure to some extent because the samskaras have not awakened yet. But um, restless. Jayashri asks, besides doing dhyana on a daily basis, can we chant shlokas? Yes, yes. Chanting shlokas is a powerful help to meditation. Rick says, if Patanjali wanted people to reject Siddhis, why did he devote one chapter or four chapter book? Correct. To explaining how to perform them. Not perform them. He shows how they are, uh, how they arise. And uh, also the um, techniques for developing them. A particular meditation. They call Sanyama. Yes, doing Sanyama on this or that. Might it be that at a certain stage there is some value in mastering them? Could be. There is this interesting story about Sri Ramakrishna offering all these powers to Swami Vivekananda. He said, he says to Swami Vivekananda, Narendranath, that I have this whole range of Siddhis, but you know, they're no, of no use to me. I can barely keep the cloth tied on my waist. I can give them to you. Now, Swami Vivekananda, Narendranath was the sort of perfect um, seeker record, you know, what Patanjali Yoga would have wanted him to be. He immediately asks, will they help me to realize God? And Sri Ramakrishna said, no, but they will help you in your work after you have realized God. So this is an answer to what you are saying. And he means it seriously. It can help. And Narendranath's answer there was the exact answer which Sri Ramakrishna was looking for. He said, all right, let it be. Let me first realize God and then we'll see. 
and he had those powers they there was ample evidence of them here when he was here in the united states there is this uh, disciple who comes who writes that vivekananda as if you know he is apologetic he says uh, if you permit me can i look into your mind i would like to see something so it's it's that easy for him and he is a little apologetic about it that i, I can but uh, uh, he is seeking your permission for that these things come these siddhis come in the path of uh, spiritual progress in especially in meditation they come powerfully but even those who are entirely on the path of devotion or on the path of knowledge they also often get it but remember they are not uh, connected to spirituality as such there may be people who have got certain powers they not may not be particularly spiritual and they might be people who are deeply spiritual but who don't have or they don't display these powers Gita Dev says, "Is the asampragyata samadhi of Ashtanga Yoga equivalent to nirvikalpa samadhi?" I won't say nirvikalpa samadhi of Advaita. In Advaita, you speak about nirvikalpa samadhi, uh, but it is the same thing. Ashtanga Yoga's asampragyata samadhi, nirvikalpa samadhi are the same thing. Jayashree says, "What is the difference, significance of meditating during Brahma Mohurta?" so we are supposed to meditate we are supposed to be thinking about god all the time in all places but we can't do that so some of the time and some of the places so sometimes are supposed to be propitious for meditation when nature is calm externally and internally also the mind is calm naturally and that so one such thing is brahma muhurta which is just before 4 am and just after 4 am so there is a period of maybe 20 20 40 minutes before 4 am and after 4 am is supposed to be very useful good for meditation it works better at that time vishwanath says thinking that objects give us happiness seems to be a classic case of thinking correlation implies causality correlation implies causality yes what um satisfaction of desires does is it uh, calms down that mind for temporarily but a lot of side effects and we make a big mistake that the resultant joy happened because of that object i mean i will not go into it i have uh, one or two talks on this in search of bliss uh, talks like that rama says mind and thoughts in the mind are uh, thoughts in the mind are jada something like data in the computer then how and why does the mind develop desires raga and dvesha all that the mind does is in the presence of and illumined by you the consciousness so when the mind is doing something remember it's not entirely objective it is an object it is jada insentient but lit up by sentience a good example is the moon you will say the moon has no light then how does it light up the entire earth at night but then what you mean by the full moon on a full moon night it's not the moon by itself it's the moon plus the sunlight which is being reflected of it the moon functions to all purposes practically like a luminous body uh, so the mind functions like as if it's conscious as if it's sentient for all practical purposes if you look at it yourself now it's not theoretical if you look at yourself right now all our thoughts and even sense experiences 
they all seem lit up by consciousness because they are they are lit up by reflected consciousness that's why the mind behaves this way and the development of desires is also a kind of um, um, uh, objective thing jada insentient thing it's it's a process it repeats something it creates a groove in the mind and the mind tends to flow in that more easily that's a desire Sangeeta says, if Brahmananda versus Vishayananda or Bhajanananda does not need the mind at all, can it ever be a matter of experience uh, or is it just a matter of knowing versus experiencing? So I mentioned that it's a subtle point. Think well over it. Anything to be experienced must be an object. So Vishayananda, Bhajanananda, they are experiential. They depend on the mind. But because it depends on the mind, Notice, they will come and go. They will increase and decrease. There are better gradients and they're, they're, it's, it's graded. There are better levels and inferior levels. And more so, all of it depends on uh, Brahmananda. It is Brahmananda alone you are experiencing um, through the channels of uh, worldly experience or a spiritual joy, a refined spiritual, pure joy. They are different, but they are uh, ultimately dependent on Brahmananda. Notice again the moon and the sunlight example works nicely. Sunlight is constant, but at night you don't see the sun or sunlight. You see the moonlight, but the moonlight is not constant. There's new moon and the, the different phases of the moon and the full moon. Sometimes it's so bright it lights up the whole night sky and the earth at night. Sometimes it's not there at all. It's completely dark. Sunlight is constant, <coughs> but not seen at night. Similarly, pure consciousness, you are always there. From the sun's perspective, whether the, there is a full moon and, uh, over the earth, or there is a new moon, there is no light or partial light or full light reflected from the moon, the sun from its own perspective is completely full. So it's a million times brighter than the moon and even the moon's light is none other than the sun's light so but to appreciate that requires a lot of purity of mind a lot of intense vairagya otherwise if vairagya dispassion is not there you know what happens why desires are a special target of saints and sages in every religion everywhere in the world if that is not taken care of vairagya is not there there will always be this tendency to throw to reflect um, the joy, the ananda in the mind. There always will be. And there's always this sign that what's, what's this? I can't, um, it won't be reflected in the mind. It's not experienced. It is experienced. Remember that the person who has realized Brahmananda, I am Brahman, does that person get joy or not? Yes, all the time. But it's, it's, it's basically the same as Bhajanananda. What you are saying, Prabhupada was saying, is in this Falabhyapti and Vrittivyapti. Yes, transfer that Falabhyapti and Vrittivyapti understanding to Brahmananda, you will see. Anjali says, is the relation between our Anandamaya Kosha and Brahmananda correct? Every kind of joy that we experience, whether worldly or spiritual, depends on the Anandamaya Kosha. Pure consciousness, pure bliss, percolating through the Anandamaya Kosha is what we finally experience as our worldly joy in the waking state or in dream state. But Brahmananda in itself, 
does not depend on the Anandamaya Kosha, the causal state. Abhijit says, then this means that the highest Samadhi doesn't guarantee Brahma Jnana. It's as good as guaranteed because the highest Samadhi, Asamprajnata Samadhi, Nirvikalpa Samadhi, after that there is no chance that you will not be enlightened. And remember, Brahmananda is guaranteed anyway. Samadhi or no Samadhi, you are it. <laughs> Reading some of the spiritual literature, they seem to be obfuscated or as if mixed together. Correct. So from an Advaitic perspective, it's not Samadhi which guarantees you Brahmananda. Brahmananda is already guaranteed, but to recognize that fact, it is Jnana, knowledge. And that knowledge is produced by Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. That's what uh, gives you Brahmananda. Gives you Brahmananda means it shows you that you, you are that Brahmananda. Siddharth says, is it possible to achieve the full realization of self and then, then slip back into ignorance? No. Full realization means ignorance is gone and can never come back again. It's not a mind-based realization. See, when, when we think about what we learned in school or college, if we forget what we learned in school or college, we again become ignorant about that subject. So we think that if the knowledge goes away, then ignorance comes back. That's the way we think. But since, as you saw, um, at the final level, I am the self. In the Sankhya system, I am Purusha. Or in the Vedantic system, I am Brahman. That is not dependent on the mind. And so there is no question of again coming back into a mind-based ignorance. It's not even dependent on the knowledge of the mind. Swamiji, is Brahma the same across all time zones connected to sunrise? Connected to sunrise because it depends on quietude of nature. All right. That seems to be all. Good. We have gone way over time again. <laughs> but anyway, the first class after a long time. Good to see you all. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu